Welcome to Christ Center Conversations. This is the inaugural episode. We are so excited to begin this podcast to share our scriptural insights with you. I will be your host. My name is Carter Taylor, and I will have my co-host here introduce herself. Hey, I'm Celia. I am Carter's lovely wife. I don't know how she, uh, <laughs> how I convinced her to marry me, um, but yes, yeah, she is. Well, she will be my lovely co-host. We're going to be hosting this weekly podcast following the structure given by the Come Follow Me curriculum. For example, this week we'll be featuring 1 Nephi 16 through 22, and then next week we'll be looking at 2 Nephi 1 and 2. So we plan on uh, recording these podcasts every Sunday afternoon. So look out for these podcasts Monday morning. That will be kind of the format of how we publish our uh the podcast so uh let's let's talk a little bit about ourselves you guys probably have no idea who we are so my wife Celia and i are both students at byu we just got married in august of 2023 we've just been together since since then we've uh we love it here we love provo excited to get out of here i am a pre-med student and so i'm currently in the process of applying to medical school I'll be taking the MCAT here in the next few months. And honestly, I will probably reference that fact one too many times uh, throughout this podcast. You know, I'll be relating that to how I liken the scriptures to myself. Uh, You guys will probably get sick and tired of hearing me talk about the MCAT, but just know it's an important part of my life. But uh, I'll let Celia um, take it away from here. Yeah, Um, just a little bit more about me and then how me and Carter met. I am from San Francisco, California, and I am actually a nursing student here at BYU. So if you also have any medical curiosities, go ahead and comment and we'll see what we can discuss together and figure out. Because we both were pre-med or pre-nursing, it's actually a funny story. We we met at a nursing home, actually. We were both CNAs, and so we like to say that we bonded over past trauma um, I can't disclose where we worked for the safety of those residents and also for our mental health. <laughs> we like to keep that a secret, but yeah, we just bonded over medicine and the gospel, and we've just we just kind of knew from day one that it was going to be game over, and just it was it was just each other. There was nobody else, and so it's been just incredible. We we met in January of 2022 mm-hmm. and then started dating about September of that year. So just to clarify, we did not just get married all of a sudden. <laughs> we we knew each other. We were friends. Yeah, I think I uh, gave the wrong impression there. <laughs> yeah, we've been dating since September of 2022. And like I said, I don't know how I convinced her to marry me. I'm kind of a crazy guy uh, for those who know me. So Anyways, the question that I wanted to answer is, why are we making this podcast? Uh, As many of you know, there's so many podcasts related to Come Follow Me out there, and I love each and every one of them. I listen to quite a few of them um, on a weekly basis. And the reason that we're making this podcast is because we wanted to give you guys a different sort of perspective on how to approach studying the scriptures. Neither Celia and I are professional scriptorians. We are just average, everyday scripture readers. Um, we both do have a passion for reading the scriptures. I honestly, one of my favorite things is to try to like blow her mind with some new like <laughs> theory that I found out. But we have never been to the Holy Land. We've never professionally studied chiasmus, right? We don't have any sort of professional background or any PhD in theology. And so we're making this podcast to kind of give you guys sort of a look at how to approach the scripture from just an average person's perspective and how easy it is to find information that can really enhance your scripture study. Now, each week we're going to have an interviewee who we bring on who also is not a professional historian, although this week's interviewee kind of is one in a way, but I'll get to that in a minute. (laughs) Really, we're going to have them come on here. We're going to ask questions and really we're just going to kind of format this like a conversation. Um, We have some notes that we've written down, but really we just want to have a conversation, talk about the scriptures in a way that you can talk to other people about scriptures too, um, just in your average daily life. So with that being said, for our first episode today, we're going to have a personal friend of mine on here. Normally, as we get you know, going through this podcast, we're going to introduce the interviewees, but 
I cannot do this guy justice. He he has to introduce himself. So we welcome Jake Harvath to Christ Center Conversation. So Jake, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hey guys. Well, just super glad to be on with you guys today. This is super exciting for the first episode of this podcast. And uh, yeah, I'm Jake Harvath. I'm with a project that I started called the Year of the Mustang Project. I'm also from Utah. I'm from Heber City. I grew up there pretty much my whole life. And I'm currently in the middle of a trip across the United States on uh, horseback, where I'm riding and packing my horses through 30 states. I'm going from, I started in Utah about four months ago, and I'm going to the East Coast and then back across to the West Coast, and then back to Utah where I started, and it'll make the longest continuous horse journey done um, on uh, in a year's time in the United States. So that's what I'm in the middle of. I'm trying to raise awareness about um, wild horses and the situations they face in America. But I film everything. I'm, I'm a YouTuber, and, and I do social media along with my project, and and that's given me lots of opportunities also to share my faith and my testimony of Jesus Christ um, through those means. So that's that's me. That's what I'm doing right now. Yeah, no, Jake is one of the most spiritual people that I've ever met in my entire life. This guy. So just a little background. Me and Jake were companions in for our mission in Honduras. I was his trainer, but I, I always like to think that he really trained me. I know that's like super cliche, but like that's literally how it went. Um, this guy came pre-trained. Like I, I, I really didn't teach him anything. And I remember we used to have like deep conversations probably too late at night. I mean, we used to just like talk about Book of Mormon theory, archaeology. Like before I got to be companions with Jake, I didn't know anything really about the book of mormon when i look back on it and he taught me like so much and he kind of gave me a perspective on learning the book of mormon in a different way you know i was just always reading the superficial layer of the book of mormon but really jake like taught me how to kind of dive a little bit deeper and get more out of it than than i was honestly he also inspired me to create this podcast because of his year of the mustang project guys his videos are professionally like edited like he looks like a professional youtuber and i mean at this point he is so go check him out you're the mustang jake harvath on youtube but this guy's awesome with that being said let's just get into it so we're going to go through some of the chapters we probably won't have time to get through all the chapters because there it, it is just so doctrinally dense these scriptures but let's get into uh first nephi 16. the first point that i wanted to talk about is in first nephi 16 the majority of the chapter is just kind of you know their journeyings in the wilderness lehi's family who has just left the valley of lemuel and we see them just sort of traveling beginning to travel more consistently and we don't know exactly how long they have traveled up until this point we don't know how long they stayed in the valley of lemuel but we do know you know they were moving at a south by southeast direction and so they're just kind of going down the arabian peninsula one of the things so the first thing we wanted to kind of highlight is the difference between nephi's perspective on the journey and the difference between laman and lemuel's perspective and now i think it's kind of like a foregone conclusion that like we know that laman and lemuel had a bad attitude and we just know that right i mean that's just something that everybody knows but one of the things that I've sort of noticed as I've gone through the scriptures lately is how much they use the word wander. They'll say, you know, dad drug us out of our house and he's just wandering. We're just wandering. We, are, we don't really know what the end goal is. Nephi, on the other hand, talks about how often he is led, being led by the spirit, not knowing beforehand. Like he knows his journey. He doesn't exactly know what the end goal is either. Um, something that I just always thought about is just like, we don't like, he didn't know that he was going to a new continent, right? He could have thought that like, well, you know, at some point we're just going to get to where we're going, but he didn't know exactly where that was, but he always mentions that he was being led as opposed to wandering. And that just brought up a good point. Like, do we feel like that in our life? Do we just feel like we're wandering around? Like, aimlessly we don't really know what our goal is we don't know what the end game for us is or do we feel like we're being led by the spirit what are your thoughts on that jake um i think 
What I think is there's an interesting perspective with the way that they are living, right? And like the way I live right now, right? I, I get up and I pack up my horses and I travel roughly 20 miles a day through wilderness, right? So I, I think about the story a lot in the way that these guys were living because it's, it's very similar. And it's, uh, I do everything with a plan, right? I, uh, the difference is that I, I always know where I'm going. I know every day mapped out. I have a plan for where I'm going to be a week from now, a month from now, a year from now. Um, for the sake of, of me and my horses being able to navigate what we're going through. And they don't have that, right? And I can't even imagine, right, what it would be like. So it, it gives me some perspective, right, with, with you know, how Layman and Lemuel would feel if it was just their father came out to them and said, all right, this is the way we're going to go today, right? And that's all they had. You know, there, there's no, like, this is how many days it's going to take to get to the promised land. There's no, oh, we're going to have to stop in this many places and, and then we'll be there, right? It's, as far as we know, it's just, it's just uh, it can feel like to them how it can seem how you can see how easy it would be for them to say, we're just wandering out here. This is, this is meaningless. So I, I absolutely can, can like understand how it would be easy to fall into that that mindset and, and in life, right? You can absolutely, if you don't, if you don't have established goals, if you don't know where you're going, the things that you have to do that you're told you have to do might not make so much sense. Yeah. I love that. I think that, you know, in our life, we can either be where we're in the wandering phase of life and where we're in the, I'm led by the spirit phase of life. And obviously we want to stay in that phase of life for as long as we can. And that is where the Liahona comes in, right? Like up until now, you know, maybe they were thinking like, well, we know that Lehi was traveling along the frankincense route and we assume that Lehi was like a merchant. So he probably knew those roads fairly well but once they get to the valley of lemuel at that point maybe they don't know the routes anymore and maybe uh, the lord was needing to guide them to other directions to avoid you know we know on the frankincense route and just other routes of that antiquity that there were lots of robbers and lots of you know it wasn't exactly the safest place to be and plus you know they had just killed laban so you know we assume maybe that people were following them we don't know that, but I, I'm, I assume that that's where the Liahona comes in, right? Jake, imagine that you didn't have any sort of directionality in your day as you're traveling across the country with your horses. Can you tell us what it would be like if you were just like, had like no compass, you were just kind of following the sun, but if it's a cloudy day and you're just like, I don't know what's east, what's west. Yeah. Like, and I think you need to clarify too, like you don't have any road signs either, like no street signs, no freeways, like way back when you know right yeah unless you've seen something before going out right like and they haven't right it's it's completely based off of the knowledge that they already had and the lord so absolutely it'd be it would be basically impossible when you're navigating large and expanses of wilderness right without any sort of of pre-anticipated um information or tools right so if you're without that, you're then you really are wandering, right? I would I would say sorry. Along with that, I would say that um, you know it's just think like I I live on it, right? I live on on GPS and mapping and in in what I do. It's it's what I think about every day. So it's you know absolutely an essential thing um, to to have. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, man. Like. I th if there's anybody out there right now that could relate to Lehi and his family more, I, I can't think of anybody else but you at this point, right? I mean, you're literally kind of living what they did. But, you know, like Celia was saying, this was in a time where there was absolutely no road signs. There weren't like five miles till Bountiful, basically, right? Road sign. And that's why we need the Liahona in our life, right? If we were to not have the Liahona, and at this point, I'm just going to say that the Liahona is the Holy Ghost, the spirit, the gift of the Holy Ghost, guiding us, giving us directionality in our life. If we don't have that, we're just aimlessly wandering in the Arabian Peninsula. And if like, you know, it doesn't take a, 
a geographer to think that wandering in the desert is probably a boring and b like first you're going to run out of water you're going to run out of supplies you're going to run out of provisions and you'll eventually die taking that to a spiritual context right like if we don't have the holy ghost in our life and we're just wandering like layman and lemuel complained about wandering aimlessly through life we're going to spiritually die and that's an i mean every single day they probably had to use the liahona to find water to find food right right one thing i think about with the liahona is how it would have streamlined the way they were all able to look at the directions because it was written on the ball they could see the arrows in the device so they were all and it and it worked based on their faith and their adherence to the commandments of god so they were all accountable right as a group as as a family so it wasn't just you know we're following what lehi says anymore right once it, so it completely would have it was a huge tender mercy from the lord that they received that and so I think, yeah, the Holy Ghost is a perfect example, right? You might lean on someone else's testimony for a while, but then you have to learn how to listen to the, uh, the Holy Ghost for yourself and receive direction for your own life. You have to take accountability as well, right, for, for what's going to happen to you. So we see that over and over again as they use the Liahona when they're on the ship, when they're going through the wilderness with it, when they need to find food, all of that. I like that. I think something that you said that, stuck out to me was you said about like you have to do it for yourself and I think sometimes we forget that the Holy Ghost and the Spirit is such a personal friend as well like the Liahona changed directions based on their faith and where they needed to go I'm sure if someone else had the Liahona and the Lord had a completely different like objective for them it would point them in a different direction and say different things and like I think it's so important for us to remember that like the Holy Ghost is like the messenger for the Lord, right? The Lord knows where we're at and so does the Holy Ghost. And he's going to tell us and give us exactly what we need to hear in those times. And he knows us so personally and will give us that personal revelation and comfort and just everything that we need for ourselves, basically. Yeah, I love that. Something that I wanted to kind of get into kind of furthering this point is just because we have the Liahona and the direction in our life doesn't mean that we're exempt from trials right and we see how ishmael you know died and even though they were at that point we think probably being pretty righteous um it doesn't say anything up until then that like layman and lemuel were being their normal selves you know it's just and we were traveling with the liahona and then boom ishmael dies something that me and celia as both like we're both obviously interested in medicine we were talking the other day about like we assume maybe that Ishmael died of old age, like natural causes, but what if he didn't? What if it was like an accident? Like he, I don't mean to make light of this, but like fell off a camel or had a heart attack or a stroke or like died of some unnatural cause. I mean, it, it, if he was at the age of where he was about to die anyway, I think the daughters of Ishmael and his, his children would have reacted a little differently. I think they reacted in a way that almost seems like he died suddenly of some unexpected cause. Just kind of making this a point for our own life. We sometimes get blindsided by stuff that we're not expecting, we're not wanting, even though we're following, you know, the Liahona, our, our Liahona, the Holy Ghost. We've had a lot of tragedy in our life, not us specifically, but just people in general have tragedy, even when they're following the commandments. What do you think about that, Jake? No, absolutely. I. I'd say the reaction absolutely is um, is definitely strong. So I I can appreciate that that mindset for sure of of perhaps it wasn't you know what we would say is in you know in medical terms today right old age, died of old age. I think there's there's an interesting thing about the this is very you know possibly coincidental right, but it is a kind of a beautiful thing to think about. They buried him in a place called Nahum. Right. And in um, in Arabic, right, that that word, right, the way, the way you write in Arabic and in Hebrew, you don't write the vowels. You just write the consonants. And that word um, written out in Arabic means mourning and it means um, uh, moaning. It means it means feelings of sorrow. And in Hebrew, on the other side of that, a little different, it means consolation and it means uh, to be consoled. Right, which I thought for a place where you know it was just kind of a 
kind of a cool coincidence that the it's clearly a place that was named prior that they didn't name it because we know that they named places as they went like Shazer and Iriantum and the Promised Land even. But Nahum, right, was a place that was already named this where they happened to bury Ishmael. And it's just kind of a beautiful thing that that they had uh, maybe, you know, probably went through that experience, I would say, where they where they were mourning, right? And then they were, you know, we know from the text that they they wanted to rebel for a moment and then the Lord chastised them. And I, I like to think that there was some feeling of, of consolation after that, right? In in remembering why they were out there um, after his death, after the, the loss of Ishmael. Yeah, that's that's awesome. This is, this is why I said he's kind of a professional scriptorian. Uh, this guy taught me a lot of stuff like that on the mission. Well, let's get into the bow and arrow. And another reason that Jake is kind of perfect for today. Jake is a very skilled archer. Remind us, you did archery in high school, right? Competed in archery? Yeah. Yeah, I competed all through middle school and high school. Um, I bow hunted since I was a kid. Yeah. This guy on our mission one day like found a tree branch and... In Honduras, it's kind of typical for the missionaries to have machetes in our house just because a lot of times we use it for service to go and just help members or whoever like cut their grass. That's just kind of how they cut their grass. But I was like, what do you do with that tree branch? And Jake was like, I'm just making a bow. I'm just making a bow. And so I was like, uh, okay, all right. And then sure enough, a couple of days later, he made this functional bow and he was like shooting little sticks with it and i was like this guy is crazy this was like one of our first like weeks together and i was like who is this guy this guy's awesome um so i feel like he's kind of a qualified <laughs> person to speak on this topic so we read in first nephi sixteen eighteen, and it came to pass that as i nephi went forth to slay food behold i did break my bow which was made of fine steel all right so I remember Jake telling me this on the mission. Tell us a little bit about, you know, steel bows in 600 BC. Yeah. For the longest time, you know, thing as especially ever since the Book of Mormon was published, critics have mounted what are called inaccuracies against it, right? Things that are found in the text that are not thought to be real, right? And by, you know, the 70s, it was, you know, starting to not look so good as, you know, as more and more scientific and archaeological discoveries were being made it was considered that there was a ton of inaccuracies found in the Book of Mormon that you could argue, or one would argue, would discredit it. But since then, almost all of those inaccuracies, major vast majority of them, have been disproven with new archaeological finds that have come out. And this is one of those, right? It, the thought that there was no such thing as steel bows. Now, in the Bible, there's actually two mentions of bows made of steel as well. Now, the word in uh, the Bible used uh, actually better translates to bronze. So it's very possible that this word is, is used interchangeably for a lot of different metals, including what we consider steel, carbonized iron. So for bronze and, and, and other metals as well, which is extremely common. Long before Nephi was ever around, the first completely steel bow, the oldest um, steel bow that we have discovered was in the Mughal Empire in India probably probably a thousand years roughly prior to Nephi's time and and throughout the Near East lots of what are known as composite bows have been discovered and that's where it's part wood or it's part it's two part substances so it would be a a wood limb inlaid with like a steel limb or a bronze limb or an iron limb and then they're often inlaid with other metals so you have a lot of part metal bows part wooden bows some that are inlaid with animal horn all these different things and one thing to note about this, to note about Nephi's bow, this is not going to be a common item, what Nephi has, having a steel bow. This, is, this would have been like owning the most expensive firearm you could, you could think of today. It would have, the reaction when Nephi breaks his bow, not just because, you know, it's the only bow that was still functional at that point, but also because of how valuable an item it would have been. It's not surprising that his family reacted so dramatically when when it breaks because uh, that would have been one of its benefits, right? That it would have been known for is is not breaking, it being made out of it being made out of metal. 
So it definitely, it would not have been a, a common item. And that he's, he's making a serious downgrade when he has to go to a bow that he's making out of, out of a, a whatever resources he's got. Right. So hopefully he finds, you know, based on what we know about Nephi, he's, he's got to become a man of many talents over the course of his life. We see that, especially in the chapters of, of the later chapters of, of first Nephi, he has to um, go out and make a bow. And then he does something that the, is such a key detailed archery that unless you know and understand archery is, is it's, it blows my mind. He makes a single arrow and people are like, why didn't he just use his arrows he already had? But when you make a bow, you have to have arrows that are built to the right length and weight for that bow that you have. So his arrows that he was shooting on his steel bow were likely too heavy or too short, who knows what, right? They were of different dimension for the bow that he was able to make out of a stick that he found. So it's it's a really beautiful detail. And, and on top of that, I think the lesson that we can take away is you know, you don't need to read much of this story to know Nephi is a man of faith, but ask any bow hunter how many of them are going out with a single arrow to hunt beasts, right? Arrows break all the time, especially wooden ones. So to go out with a single arrow and to say you're going to shoot all these beasts and procure food and that one's not going to break off after you shot an animal or he's going to miss and shoot a rock and break the... It's, it's, that's a, a tremendous amount of faith as someone who's hunted traditional archery for deer and other game for most of my life now and it's it's an extremely hard thing to do and the fact that he went out with one arrow and was able to procure food is is just showing so much how the lord was with him in that moment but also how much faith he had that the lord would get it done for him man that's awesome i remember when you talked to me about you know the maybe the specifications of nephi's uh, steel bow right and how it was kind of a composite bow but like you were saying, the steel bow was considered like infallible, right? Like that thing was made out of steel, bronze, whatever it was made out of. It was supposed to be really strong. It wasn't, it was man-made, but it was really strong. It wasn't supposed to fail. And that's why his family was so shocked. Again, when he broke the bow, how kind of dramatic it was. And I think we can learn a really important lesson from this. I think we can see that if we put our faith in man-made things and things of the world a lot of times we're left stunned when they don't come through for us but what's the thing that always came through for nephi and his family it was god right when they were following the commandments when they were doing what they were supposed to be doing and not whining and complaining about it god always came through for them right and i think it's kind of cool like you said jake how he made one arrow which when we get into you know how could Joseph Smith have known, how could he have been a skilled archer to know that you need to create arrows that fit the bow, right? You can't just laterally take some arrows from some other bow and just feel like it's going to work. But the fact that he made one arrow shows how, how important it was that he trusted in God and that he, it wasn't the bow that was going to, it wasn't the bow and arrow that was going to kill the animal. It, in a sense, God was guiding Nephi and it was infallible. So you had something you wanted to share with us with this, right? Yeah, super fast. Um, something that I like too, in first Nephi 16 as well with this bow story is um, if you go to verse 21, so we know that Nephi isn't the only one, I guess Nephi breaks his bow, but we learned that his brothers, Laman and Lemuel, like the strings of their bows came out, gave out. So which is why there was so much pressure on Nephi when he broke his bow, because it was kind of like the last like bow and arrow standing. And so if you read in verse 21, it says, Now it came to pass that I, Nephi, having been afflicted with my brethren because of the loss of because of the loss of my bow, and their bows having lost their springs, it began to be exceedingly difficult, yea, insomuch that we could obtain no food. And something that I actually learned on my mission from a companion, and it just kind of like dawned on me right now, is you focus on the word afflicted. And you look at what he's talking about when he says he was afflicted. He says, having been afflicted with my brethren because of the loss of my bow and their bows having lost their springs. Well, throughout scriptures in general, not just the Book of Mormon, but the Bible, Doctrine and Covenants, any type of scripture you'll read, you'll see these three words pop up a lot. There's trial, trouble, and affliction. 
And they actually all mean different things. I used to kind of think they were all one, but they all mean something different. So the word, the word trial means something that the Lord gives you to make you stronger. And then troubles mean something you put on yourself. And affliction is something that others put on you. So Nephi was totally right when he said the word afflicted because of his brethren, because his his brethren had put like that pressure of breaking the bone and getting mad on him, right? But the trial was leaving Jerusalem and traveling in and of itself, right? Trying to find the promised land. But I like I like to think that, you know, a trouble, something you put on yourself, that was probably like, you know, if we were if I were to break a boat, I'd be pretty mad at myself as well. And so I like just I think it kind of goes to show the faith that Nephi had in making a whole new bow, right? Like he was already afflicted be afflicted because of the attitude of his brethren. He was already in this crazy like trial period with his entire family. Then he also just broke his own bow and he took responsibility for it. He didn't just say like, oh, like it's been the weather because of these days or like it was like because they forced me to use my bow, right? Too many times, right? Like he took responsibility for it. And so I think it just goes to show like the strength and faith of Nephi, like in the midst of all three of those trial, affliction and like trouble, like he still like continued on and it brought his whole family to repentance too, which I think is super cool. And that's awesome. I actually had never heard of that before. She just pulled that out of nowhere. Um, <laughs> she's pretty great. All right. Well, surprises. <laughs> so something that I wanted to kind of talk about, I just learned this the other day. So we're told around this time that, you know, they, they get into bountiful. So we all know the story. Nephi makes a bow, figures it out, gets the food, and they keep on their journey. Leahona's guiding them. They all repent for complaining and whining and, and they make it to Bountiful, right? Bountiful just seems to be this oasis in the middle of the desert. And, you know, it's just boom, right in the middle of nowhere. And this um, is in chapter 17 though, right? Yeah, we've moved on to chapter 17. One thing um, that I think is really interesting that I just learned the other day was it said, Nephi says that they had been wandering in the wilderness for eight years, right? Something that was really cool. So a lot of times when we see numbers in the scriptures, they have a, a significant meaning, right? We see that seven is like a holy number and we see that six is less than holy. So we kind of associate that with like the adversary. Um, 40 days and 40 nights is just sort of the Jewish way of saying, you know, a long time. Um, but I looked up what the number eight means in the bible what we usually what kind of the number eight symbolized it was really cool it was very i feel like poignant for this situation that nephi found himself in and it says that the number eight represents a new beginning meaning a new order or creation and man's true born again event when he is resurrected from from the dead into eternal life um, i'm getting this from a website biblestudy.org so I'm just reading straight from the website. It also says eight is also an integral part of Jesus's sacrifice. Like the Passover lamb, Jesus was selected as the lamb to take away man's sins. Okay, so I think it's also kind of interesting. So Nephi and his family, eight years in the wilderness, they're going to a new land and it's a new beginning. Um, and we also see that Christ was resurrected on the eighth day after his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, when we, you know, Palm Sunday, right? Eight days, eight full days uh, after that was when he was resurrected. So it's kind of cool that it symbolizes a new meaning. I took it a little bit a step further and I thought to myself, when are we baptized? What is the age of baptism? Well, it's eight. And I think that it's really cool that at around eight years in the wilderness is the time that Nephi and his family are getting into the water. And I think that when Nephi and his family departed and they just set sail, and we're going to talk about the boat. Don't worry, we're talking about the boat. But I, I just kind of wanted to skip ahead. When Nephi and his family get in the water, it's sort of like a baptism. They're not, there's no going back. They're not going back to Jerusalem. Up until the point they get in the water, right, they could have gone back to Jerusalem, right? They could have turned around and it would have, been awful, but they could have gone back to Jerusalem. But when they got in the water, 
that was sort of like their baptism, their commitment to Christ to say, we're not going back. This is our new life. This is our new beginning. And we're committed to Christ. And that's kind of the commitment and the covenant that we make with Christ when we enter the water. And something that's really cool too is when Nephi includes Isaiah in, I believe, chapter 20, the first verse says, Hark ye, the house of Israel, who have come out of the waters of Judah or out of the waters of baptism. And it's kind of cool because at that point, Nephi and his family had gotten into the, um, to the promised land and they had just come out of the water of baptism, so to speak. And I don't mean to hog the mic here, but I just wanted to share this other thing as well. The other day I was uh, very interested, I'm very interested in like Book of Mormon geography, archaeology, and you know, I understand that we come to know the Book of Mormon is true through the spirit, but I'm always interested in Jake, I have you to blame for this. I always love to learn about Book of Mormon archaeology and geography. So thank you for that. And I was curious, I was like, well, where is Bountiful? There should be like something that kind of matches the description of Bountiful, right? Arabian desert, Arabian peninsula, and then just boom, out of the middle of nowhere, this area that would have like animals to hunt and greenery and all this stuff that Nephi and his family would need. Scholars tend to think that there's this place called Salala Oman. And if you look this up on Google Maps, I mean, it's straight up, you see desert, 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 and then Salala. And on Google Map, it's just this patch of green. When you look up pictures, I mean, it looks what I imagine bountiful to look like. It just is this beautiful, I mean, it has shallow pools of water, crystal clear water. It's got animals. It's got tons of trees. It's green and the ocean's right next to it. So I was like, wow, that's really cool. Like whether or not it is bountiful or who knows, I just like to think like in my mind, I always like to imagine the scriptures and try to get into that world. And so then I started thinking, I was like, right, we're at the point where the Lord comes to Nephi and says, build a boat. And Nephi says, okay, like, where do I go to make tools? Where do, what are the areas? I'm not familiar with the area. Where do I go to make tools to be able to make the boat? And Jake backed me up on this, you know, there, he would have had to have made the boat out of wood. I mean, that just kind of goes without saying. And so I started thinking, I was like, well, if it's in Oman, if it's in Salala, Oman, like I was just kind of letting my imagination run wild. I started thinking, well, what kind of trees are in the area? So when I looked that up, I just literally looked up what trees are in Salala, Oman. In Oman, in Salala, the main tree there is called the Baobab tree. And it's really cool because the Baobab tree so I looked up a picture of the baobab tree and immediately I was like, okay, that looks like the tree of life. <laughs> what I imagined the tree of life looking like. And then I, I found out that in African culture and legend, the baobab tree is nicknamed the tree of life. And I, I was just sort of mind blown. I was like, no way. Like that's, that's too good to be true. But I started reading about it and it talked about how, the baobab tree was called the tree of life because of its abundant nutrients, resources, you know. And if you look at the tree, I mean, it's just got this thick sort of trunk and it's got these branches that go in all these directions. But the trunk is so dense that I assume that Nephi, you know, could cut down one and have a ton of wood needed to make the boat. I just, I just thought that was so cool that it was considered the tree of life in African culture. But then I was like, let's run with this analogy a little bit. And I started thinking, if Nephi built the boat with the tree of life, which I just thought was kind of cool, what does that mean for us? And I started thinking, well, the tree of life symbolizes the love of God, in other words, Christ. And I started thinking, well, the boat was a commandment of God. So I made the connection that th through Christ, we can follow the commandments, feel the love of God, and ultimately do what the Lord has commanded us to do through the love of Christ, right? I'm reminded of the scripture in Philippians that says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And it just kind of made me think when we're asked to do these hard things in our life, what is the power by which we do those things? And it's the love of God. It is Christ. 
No, yeah, I I think that's a beautiful image, and and yeah, the baobab tree, it's it's an enormous tree, it's huge, and would have provided an enormous resource for for building a ship. Now, obviously, we don't know what their ship looked like. The design that came out of it was given by the Lord, and uh, from what we can tell, right, Nephi was guided as he did it, but it uh, it absolutely is a demonstration of of how much we need him and and how much we we rely on him to to progress in this life but also um, the more we do that the the more he's going to to carry us through the trials that we have to overcome the more the greater a capacity we're going to have to be able to put our trust in him just as we're going to discuss here the greater capacity they had to get in the boat and and leave like you were saying earlier and and take that plunge to to do something that would require once again a lot of faith on on their part especially as as a group they all they all got on the boat right yeah no i think that's a good point like they all had to do it but i'm going to be honest i am dying to jump over to first nephi 18 and have you talk to us jake about like boat building and give us more insight on that so can you go ahead and do that for us Absolutely. So like I mentioned earlier, it's Nephi has to become a man of many talents, right? This is not just like, oh, Nephi had to know how to build a boat. No, like Nephi's first question to the Lord is, where do I go to find ore to build tools to be able to build a boat, right? So first things first, Nephi has to be a miner, right? He's got to be, he's got to be mining for ore. It's already a very limited um, practice and and a very new uh, science and and trade in in his time when uh, Nephi is alive. So he's got to be a miner. Once he's got that ore, he's got to be a metallurgist in a way. He's got to be able to refine that ore into a moldable metal to make tools. Two, he's got, or three, he's got to be a tool maker. He's got to be a blacksmith. So he's over here making a bellows to blow the fire. He's got to make all this stuff himself, all from hand. And then he's got to make the tools just to be able to go start cutting down trees and then make this boat. And then he's got to be a shipbuilder, right? All these things while they're living, still living in the wilderness, right? I understand they're in the land of Bountiful, but it's still not a cakewalk to live in the wilderness, right? And live off the land the amount of time and and energy that this would have taken and as far as we can tell nephi just did it himself right he he undertook that that challenge himself so there's a lot on the upfront that goes into this and and i wish of course we knew more about you know the the size and the and the dimensions of their boat how much how long that would have taken Eventually, he enlists the help of his entire family to take that on, um, and that's what have, would have been required. It would have taken a lot of hands, a lot of a lot of manpower, to build a ship that could cross these great oceans, uh, especially um, from from wood in their day. Um, and obviously, the Lord plays a part in 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 that design, creating a design for a ship that can do that in this day and age, which would have basically not existed, right? Most ships in this time uh, are designed to go along the coastlines, to go in commerce seas like the Mediterranean, the Red Sea, but crossing large open oceans like the Pacific or the Atlantic, right? Whatever, the Indian Ocean. Very, very few ships were attempting long voyages like this at, at this time, as far as we know. So it would have taken the Lord's help to do it. I mean, if you really think about it, Nephi lived in Jerusalem, landlocked, not great bodies of water nearby. He probably really never seen a boat of this magnitude that could, like you said, travel across these distances that, I mean, maybe they didn't know how far they were going. If you think about it, they might've been like, this is just a really big lake. (laughs) They could have, I mean, we don't know, right? But like you said, the only way that God could or the only way that Nephi could do this is with God. And I want to talk about just a little bit, just we're asked to do these astronomical things in our life. The only way that we can do it is through God, right? I think when God asks us to 
basically pay our tithing or do these things that we're like, man, I don't think I can do this. I got bills to pay. (laughs) I got things to do. I don't have time to be a bishop or be a young men's president or whatever. I think that it's only through God that we're able to do that. We're going to move on a little bit. We're going to talk about Laman and Lemuel again, our favorite brothers who Celia just told me the other day that they may or may not have been twins, which I think is kind of interesting and cool. I think it's real. It's like, I'll be honest, I learned this from Tyler Griffin in his book of Mormon class. So shout out to him. Um, when you look at like Layman and Lemuel, like think about like how they both kind of like sound the same. They both start with L's and there's probably more to that. But yeah, I think it's yeah, worth I thought. I never thought about that before. Makes kind of makes sense. Um, but here we are, we're in Bountiful and let's just pretend that the ship is docked outside of the beach and it's just kind of bobbing. And so that some about me is I love movies. And so when I'm reading the scriptures, I pretend that I'm, what would I, if I were to bring this scene in the, in the scriptures to life, how would I do that in the movie format? That's just sort of my, uh, interpretation. That's how I like to read the scriptures. And I think to myself, all right, we've got Lehi and his family and there's some little kiddos running around and playing in the water and we have seagulls flying overhead and there's a boat and Nephi's like, all right, it's time. Let's get in. We're sailing. Can you imagine not knowing where you're going? I think about any time that anybody in history is getting on a boat and sailing somewhere they at least somewhat have an idea of like all right well we're trying to find like even christopher columbus was like we're trying to get to china trying to get to india so at least we know like kind of where we're going we don't know what it looks like but we know we have our destination and nephi and his family at this point are like we don't know where we're going we have no idea we we're we might just be out here sailing for a few years and we don't know where we're going the faith that that would have required is uh, beyond me i i'm not ashamed to admit that i would be a little bit hesitant i'd be really on my knees praying to make sure that this wasn't going to lead toward death and i think layman and lemuel probably were in the same case but here's the thing is they got on the boat why did they get on the boat why didn't layman and lemuel decide to get on the boat in the first place and and even bringing it back a little bit further why did they follow this whole time they were complaining the entire time and they're grown adults they could have been dad like i love you but you're crazy you have dementia we're going home like this is wild we're going to take our camels and we're going home i just think it's kind of interesting that they decided to follow this entire time and then i think to myself they got on the boat and they were calling Nephi a fool just not that long before. What does that say about Laman and Lemuel? I think sometimes we don't give them enough credit. We always are like, Laman and Lemuel are terrible and they're annoying and they whine a lot, but they had some faith too, right? If you think about it, they're getting on this boat and there's no turning back, like we said. So I think it's really cool that we can learn about Laman and Lemuel that, yeah, they're, they don't turn out, right? They they eventually just kind of give up completely, but we learn about how to get back on the path from Laman and Lemuel just a little bit. Um, Nephi, we, it's, I love Nephi. Don't get me wrong. I love Nephi. But sometimes I feel like it's hard to relate to him because he seems like he never does wrong. And I'm sure he did. And I know in second Nephi, he talks about how he was, he was saying that he was such an unfaithful guy basically, but He's pretty faithful, if you ask me, and it seems like he doesn't do anything wrong. But Laman and Lemuel, we know, do stuff wrong all the time. It's interesting that we always just kind of, like I said, get after Laman and Lemuel, and we always make fun of them and say they are the worst. But they weren't always bad guys, right? They got on the boat. They set sail. Nick, what what are your thoughts on that? I know we lost you for a second. What are your thoughts about Laman and Lemuel getting on the ship even though at any point along the path, they could have been like, hey, we're turning back. We don't, we don't want to be with you guys anymore. What do you, guys, what do you think about Laman and Lemuel getting on the ship? I think it's, 
their decision and what they say kind of gives us a hint into that. And he, they, it says that they saw that it was good, right? And and I think that's what the entire family would have seen as well. But it's it's just very interesting to me that they, the most um, contrary to to Nephi and Lehi, and and the whole plan up to this point, even Laman and Lemuel saw after they'd put in all this work that what they had built was good. And I think that's just like joining that covenant path. And maybe, you know, if you're, if you're someone who's, you know, been a member of the church your whole life, you've been, you've grown up um, around the gospel, you know, that decision to, uh, to become baptized um, might not be as big of, as as important of a decision as it is might not be something that's as close a memory for for some of us right but nevertheless at some point we have to recognize that what we have is a good thing and when we see that for what it is then we can then we can take that step um in in following it for ourselves kind of like we we were talking about earlier with with the holy ghost and yeah i think that they absolutely, they were genuine, right? They had to be genuinely astounded by that decision. Um, and just like anyone making that covenant of, of baptism, right, they would make that decision because it is a good decision, not because they understand everything that's going to happen, right? They still don't know what's in store for them in life. They don't know all the details, but you see what's in front of you and that it is a good thing. And that's enough to make a decision on faith. I love that. And I think one of the mottos that we can get from this week is let's get on the boat. Let's be disciples of Christ and push out into the unknown and be fine with that and be faithful. Like I said, like I was saying before, Laban and Lemuel, we always give them a bad rap, but their example, at least in a certain way of how to get back on the covenant path you know, they strayed sometimes. And I feel like we're more like Laman and Lemuel than we like to admit. But they strayed sometimes. They complained. They got mad. They tried to kill their brother, which, I mean, my brother knows that I've probably tried to do that a few times. Not really. But, but I mean, they kept getting back and forth, back and forth. And we're kind of like that. But they took some big steps of faith. And so I think one of the lessons we can take from this week is let's get on the boat. Let's not turn back. Let's let's not turn back to our Jerusalem, whatever that is. Let's go forward to the promised land. Let's obey. Celia, you had a, you had a thought you want to share? Yeah. Just more about like getting on the boat and that faithfulness. It's kind of jumping in between the last couple parts of 18 when Nephi gets tied up on the boat and then when they make it to the promised land. So when you start off the book of Nephi, you know, it's about 600 years before the coming of Christ, like 600 BC. And if you look at the timestamps throughout the chapters, when you get to chapter 19, it says it's around 570 BC, which is about 30 years later. And we know eight of those years and the time was spent in the wilderness. And you can see that. But when you start chapter 19, Nephi kind of says, like, I was commanded to make the plates. In verse two of chapter 19, it says, and I knew not at the time when I made them that I should be commanded of the Lord to make these plates. Because in chapter 19, the years are between 588 and 570. So it sounds like 588 maybe was the time they got to the promised land, which would make sense, right? Um, eight years in the wilderness, maybe three on the water, which doesn't seem right. But who knows, right? It's one of those <laughs> celestial classes I can't wait to sit down and get a lecture on. <laughs> um, and it sounds like he made these plates for Lehi because we know that there's a book of Lehi that got lost during translation in Joseph Smith history. And so if we look at the 570 BC timestamp and with the way Nephi talks about how when I made these plates, I didn't realize that I was going to be commanded to write on them. We can assume that Nephi is probably writing this story 30 years later, which I think for Nephi probably brought up some PTSD, right? We don't know. They... I think he might still be with his brothers at this point. There's a chance this is about the time when Nephi's getting ready um, to leave with his family. Um, Lehi's probably getting close to passing. And so I think it's just like another like show of faith of like following the commandments. I think a lot of these chapters are like that, the idea of like getting on the boat and like 
stepping forward with faith to follow the commandments of God, right? Like I cannot imagine trying to sit down 30 years later and make it force yourself to relive like eight years of your life in the wilderness, right? Like I wouldn't even know what to write. I'd probably just be like, yeah, I was in the wilderness, sorry. And call it a day, right? And so I just think it's really cool to like look at the story and realize how like, and realize how far Nephi had come, right? He's writing this from like a, well, what's the word I'm looking for? He already has like, a perspective on the story, right? And so I think it's really cool to focus on like what Nephi chose to mention in the story. It's awesome, as always. I just, um, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, Jake. We already appreciate you being with us in your busy schedule. Oh, you're okay. You you do your do. <laughs> we just kind of wanted to wrap it up. There's so much in these chapters. I mean, honestly, man, I could talk about first Nephi, this, the book in general for hours. I mean, I think me and Jake did on the mission. We just would stay up and chat about stuff. And, but I wanted to just hear your final thoughts, Jake, just about what we've talked about today and uh, some of your final words, maybe your testimony about this. <laughs> yeah. The spirit kept telling me that. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. Yeah. It's such at the end of the day, you know, we can theorize and theorize till we're blue in the face. Right. And I'm guilty of that sometimes. And as many beautiful things come out of it, right, that I think what the approach that you guys are taking and that we've done here today, right, to to look at this story in, in from this light, from this point of view, just brings forth so many uh, doctrinally beautiful points, but also things that are essential for us to know. And th- this really is the purpose of, of the Book of Mormon, right? And it's going to bring so much value. Um, it, it's brought so much to me. I, it's really, the Book of Mormon is really where it all started for me. And when I was 12, I, I uh, read it with my father and my brother every morning before we went to school. And it was my dad that told me to go and pray for myself if I knew it was true. And I got that answer. And, and that's really where it took off for me. And I, from then on, I knew that the book was true even though I didn't know what that would mean for me at the time. And every time I've read it since then, it just continues to teach me new things. Every time I read it, new things stand out to me. So I'm just so, so grateful to my Heavenly Father for, for bringing it about. And, and I'm grateful for those prophets that came before us, for, for Nephi's example. And it's just so, so incredible to me how many things that, that we can pull for ourselves that, that, uh, that have strengthened me in li- my life. And it's strengthening me right now to do what I'm doing. Cause I might be on this road with my horses for over a year, but it's not eight years in the wilderness and it's not however long they were on that ship. And not to mention all the things Nephi suffered with his brethren and, and all the hardships that they just would have gone through because of their day. It's, it's inspiring to me, particularly in, in what I'm doing, but it, it applies to every single one of us, no matter how distant their lives might seem and the experiences they had might seem to us from what we've discussed here today. It, it applies to all of us. Well, thanks Jake for being with us today. I, I honestly, like I said, I can't think of a better number one example of Jesus Christ to me in my life, but a guy that knows a lot about, pretty much everything that we talked about today, bow making <laughs> and, and traveling a, along paths in the middle of nowhere sometimes and boat making. And so thanks again for being with us today. We don't want to take up too much of your time and we're running out of time ourselves. We just want to thank each and every one of you for tuning into this first episode of Christ Center Conversations. Um, we hope that you've endo- enjoyed it. Hope that you tune in next week when we dive into Second Nephi one and two kind of grateful that it's only two chapters next week even though it is pretty doctrinally dense we kind of skipped out on isaiah today which i'm sure a few of you were kind of uh cheering about that i am because i'm just kidding i love isaiah but i don't understand him like i should we'll be here next week we're excited to share our thoughts with you guys so from us this is carter this is Celia, and this is christ-centered Christ-centered conversations. conversations